thank you for sticking by me, all my friends and community who were here in the most thorniest of times. And I'm so thankful to the incredible supporters who showed up at the polls today and stood up for all the kids in Wisconsin. So let's give those kids a round of applause. Here's my promise to every family, student, and Wisconsinite, young and old, regardless of who you voted for. I will always do what's best for our kids. We did it! I am the champion of the world! Alder Conklin at your service! Okay, just on the west side. Those were sounds from election night. The king of the world, or at least the west side of Madison, was alderwoman-elect Nikki Conklin, celebrating her victory over incumbent alderman Paul Skidmore. Before that was Jill Underly delivering her victory speech Tuesday as superintendent of public instruction-elect. And the first clip was Underly's opponent, Deborah Kerr, during her concession speech. The statewide race for school chief went pretty much as expected, Phil. Underly won. I thought the city council races were a lot more interesting than the race for superintendent of schools. That kind of went exactly as I expected it to. Kind of went the way every single race for superintendent of schools ever goes, which is what the Democrat-backed candidate wins. Two incumbents lost their seat in the Madison City Council. Alderman Skidmore, but also Alderwoman Rebecca Kemble, who was defeated by Charles Miazzi in District 18 on the north side. What's interesting about that is Skidmore was a staunch supporter of the Madison Police Department, while Kemble was a sharp critic of police. They both lost. We'll talk about all the results from Tuesday's election, including a referendum and John Jagler's narrow victory on today's Center Stage with Milford and Hands, the Wisconsin State Journal's political podcast from the Sensible Center of Wisconsin Politics. I'm Scott Milfred. I'm the editorial page editor. And I'm Phil Hands. I'm the editorial cartoonist for the Wisconsin State Journal. We are half of the Wisconsin State Journal editorial board. The more elected half. All right, so the only statewide race was for state superintendent of public schools, a four-year term. And I have my trusty Wisconsin State Journal from this morning right in front of me, Phil. Listen to it, Russell. And Underly won with 492,000 votes. That's 57% of the vote. To Deb Kerr's 372,000 votes, that was 43%. Not really surprising there, especially since Kerr, as strong as she was in terms of being a more centrist candidate, I think she made some mistakes with her campaign, particularly the tweet that got her in some hot water, and she just didn't have as much money for advertising. And typically, the candidate that the education establishment favors in the spring election, that's the candidate who wins. Wisconsin is one of the only states in the country that actually separately elects a department of public instruction head, the superintendent of schools. It's always in a spring election, often after a big presidential election. And it seems like Democrats just always sort of kick butt in these elections. And the choice of the teachers union and the educational status quo usually wins. And in this case, the choice of the Wisconsin State Journal editorial board. We endorsed her too. Which says something maybe about Deb Kerr's troubles. She just couldn't get traction, it seemed like, after that tweet. She was on defense a lot and obviously didn't have the Republicans and some of the normal pots of money that might open for a Republican candidate statewide. They didn't open because she didn't have that much money. So there must have not been much confidence that she could win. She says she's a Democrat. If Deb Kerr was the conservative candidate in this race... 
she was at least an electable conservative candidate. Usually it's some bomb thrower who has no experience and has no interest in running a public education department who usually wants to cut public education and invest in voucher schools. That's usually who the Republicans put up. So at least this is a legitimate, real candidate who probably would have done some good things for the state. The state superintendent recommends a budget and a lot of things to the governor, but doesn't have a lot of power. So I don't think this changes too much, given that Underly's pretty much playing ball with the administration. A lot of times people talk about Voucher schools is a big issue. Well, it didn't matter who was going to get elected. Nothing was going to change much with vouchers uh, in the state because you have a standoff between the Republican legislature and the Democratic governor. But I did like what Underly said on the front page of the newspaper today. She said she will always do what's best for kids. That's good, (laughs) as opposed to maybe what's best politically or what's best for the grown-ups or the teachers' union. And she also pledged to have all schools open by next fall. Gosh, I would hope so. Yeah, no kidding, right? Underly had to be a little bit worried thinking back to the Supreme Court race of 2019 when Brian Hagedorn had all been abandoned by some on the right after it came out a religious school where he was a leader wouldn't hire gay people. That became a lightning rod for conservatives to support him and push him narrowly to victory in a spring election. Fast forward to now and you had Deborah Kerr who had gotten into trouble for a offensive tweet about race and her position on transgender students participating in high school sports. Was that going to drive right-wing voters to come out and push her to the finish line? It didn't. Uh, Anyway, Madison City Council, it's not often that incumbents lose a seat and... Two incumbents did lose their seat. As we said, Rebecca Kemble on the north side and Paul Skidmore on the west and far west side. I mean, you try to make sense of that. Kemble was, I think, one of the most far left voices on the city council. She loses to somebody who's more supportive of things like police and uh, development and downtown, even though he's a Democrat and uh, a liberal. He would be considered one of the more conservative members of the city council just because he's so adamantly pro-cop. He loses. And they both lost to people of color. So that was interesting, too, that both the conservative, in air quotes, and Kemble, the very progressive liberal, they're both white people and they both lost to black people, which means our city council will get more diverse. So we're going from a city council that was already twice as diverse as the city itself to a council that's even more so. It really shows the fallacy of the argument that we needed a full-time city council to somehow encourage diversity, that somehow having a part-time city council was terribly unfair to people of color. Obviously, it's not because they keep winning seats. I don't think the city council got a whole lot more progressive. The progressives beat Skidmore. That didn't surprise me. The fact that Kemble lost to the less less progressive candidate, he was not running as progressive. He was running as a centrist, pro-police member of the community. Skidmore, remember, had lost in the primary. He had a four-way primary in which he finished second behind Nikki Conklin. It does say to me that on that far west side and, and the west west side, crime and public safety is not the number one issue because, fairly or not, Paul Skidmore had been stamped as 
pro-police, and that was about it. Now, the guy's a landscaper. He loves parks. There's more to him than that. But he was pretty much a the cops are always right kind of voice on the city council whenever he was quoted. And he had the flap over uh, allegedly stay, saying a vulgarity during a meeting uh, towards a member of the public, although he denied it and that was never verified by even though they spent ten, uh, 10000 bucks to try to figure it out. It was never verified, but the company that investigated it said it probably wasn't him because he wasn't wearing a headset. Could have been three other people. And some of those people wore headsets on a consistent basis in meetings. Generationally, Paul Skidmore is my dad's age. I don't think my dad has ever used that word before. Like, it's not a word that he is part of his vocabulary. It seems like he wasn't as adamant as he could have or maybe should have been that it wasn't him that said it. Now, maybe that's just from the times I heard him quoted in the media. He didn't seem all that adamant when we asked him about it at our endorsement meeting. In retrospect, maybe that was a mistake not to be offended that people were suggesting he had said it. In any case, yeah, I agree with you. I He knew he was in trouble. We were both saying before the election that we thought he could go down. I did not think Rebecca Kemble would. I think when you talk about the, the future of the city council, you also have Sherry Carter, the liberal progressive, but for Madison, very mainstream establishment, voice of stability in the community. And, and her beating Brandy Grayson, who has very high name recognition, I think that keeps the city council pretty much moving on the course it's been. Where you start to say, well, maybe it's becoming a little more progressive is when you look at District 10 and 18, where Yannette Figueroa-Cole, she's replacing Zach Hennick. That's probably moving in a little more progressive way. And it's probably true also in District 16, where J.L. Curry, who we endorsed, defeated Matt Trammell. But overall, I think you're right. It's pretty much a similar city council. Those two races, the voters didn't really have a choice of somebody that was more mainstream, I don't think, as much. I feel like the north side voting with Charles Miazzi over Rebecca Campbell, that is a giant rebuke of progressive politics up there on, on in the north side. And I think Skidmore was going to lose for all variety of reasons. What's interesting about this council, um, this was a big money, you know, this was a big money year. You know, candidates raised a lot of money uh, on the south side on Park Street. There were ads for both Sherry Carter and Brandy Grace. I'm not, I'm not sure I've ever seen billboards for candidate ads for city council before, but I, but they were on the south side. Maybe there are other places too. I just don't drive around very often. But the people that raised the most money generally didn't win. Skidmore outraised Nikki Conklin. You know, he raised $20,000 more than anybody else in the race. He lost. Rebecca Kemble raised the second most of any candidate. The big money candidate, progressive, Rebecca Kemble, raised uh, $18,000. She lost. Brandy Grayson outraised Sherry Carter. She raised $13,000 to Sherry Carter's $9,000, and she lost. In the student district, Iomi and Abose raised $6,500 and lost to Juliana Bennett, who raised just under $4,000. Iomi Abuse raised $6,500 to garner 162 votes total. I mean, she basically $40 a vote 
Kemble was pretty up there. She raised $13 for each vote she got. Randy Gerasen had to raise $23 for each vote she got. So the big money candidates at the local level didn't win. The only thing I would say as a caveat to that in Kemble's case is that there had been a billboard up in her district for quite a while by a political group that was noting that car thefts and gunplay was going up, 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 and it said, what's Rebecca Kemble's response? Defund police. So there had been for quite a while this billboard on the main drag up there saying she was soft on crime. The turnout sort of all over the board. Under 500 people voted in the student district compared to Skidmore's district. They had almost 3,700 votes in that district combined. I was sort of surprised how few people voted on the South Side in Sherry Carter's district. It was 1,600 people voting in that district. Most of the other districts are around 3,000 to 3,500 people voting in a district. I was sort of flabbergasted to see that Randy Grayson, who is this big name activist with a lot of name recognition, actually got fewer votes. She got 571 votes than David Hoffert, who wasn't even running a campaign. In the, de- in the next district over against Tag Evers. He got 633 votes and suspended his campaign long before this ever took over. So it's, it's, I don't know if that speaks to partic- participation, but I thought it was interesting. Overall, about 20% of eligible voters, one in five statewide, actually did cast ballots. That's typical. I mean, uh, Supreme Court races in the spring get more attention than state superintendent of schools. One other issue on the ballot, at least in Madison, was whether to turn the city council into a full-time city council with pay as high as $77,000 a year and four-year terms. And that all went down. The only thing that passed was, and this is an advisory referendum, was that most people wanted to keep the size of the city council of 20 seats the same and not shrink them or increase them. And overwhelmingly, people did vote for term limits, but I think that's been misunderstood because the question wasn't, do you favor term limits for city council or not? It was, if we go to a full-time council with longer terms of four years, then do you want term limits of no more than 12 years in a row? And so people overwhelmingly said yes to term limits because they thought, well, gee, if we're going to have a full-time council making a bunch more and be more insulated from voters, yeah, we should limit how long they can stay. But going forward, I don't think that means much. I just think we're not going to have a full-time city council. I think the voters are pretty clear that they like having a lot of alders representing smaller districts on a part-time basis. And I think this election sort sort of shows out that single moms of color can win elections and serve on the city council. They can run and they can serve on the city council. And I I think that's something we should champion. And I think this was sort of a a solution in search of a problem. A lot of the arguments in favor of a full-time council were just clearly false if you just looked at the council itself in terms of its diversity and how many people were running. So I'm assuming that issue is now dead and we're sticking with a city council that has 20 seats. I wish the Dane County Board would put on a referendum whether it should shrink its size. It has 37 members. Wow, that's almost twice as big as a city council. What kind of a debate can you ever have with 37 people? Their districts are so gerrymandered, too, that like the progressives have a block of like 28 votes and can never lose anything on, in, the, in the county board, too. Although, to their credit, they have supposedly come up with a way to have neutral panel draw 
the map, so we'll see. There was a time where there were conservative voices on the county board, and those voices have really been marginalized. Maybe that's just ch- changing demographics and, and whatnot. It might be better if there were 10 members of the county board and two of them were conservative. At least they'd have a voice then. The final race we should maybe mention is John Jagler. Jingleheimer Schmidt. Winning Scott uh, Fitzgerald's old Senate seat, Scott Fitzgerald left to run for Congress and won a seat in Congress. John Jagler, who's been a state representative from Watertown, he didn't win by a whole lot there. I mean, that's a district that's pretty solidly Republican, and Fitz regularly won that without even drawing serious competition. And Jags uh, won it by... Just 52% to 44%, so less than 10 percentage points. These districts are going to change, of course, after another round of redistricting by next year. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that district might be getting more mixed. It's got some Madison suburbs that are kind of expanding into that district, which makes it more competitive as the suburbs become less you know, reliably red, but it could be a more competitive seat. I think Jagler being kind of a lousy campaign, too. I mean, he didn't show up for a lot of forums. He sort of acted like it was his seat to to lose. Republican Party ran this really disingenuous ad that implied that we endorsed him, which we didn't. He had some negative media about the way he ran his campaign. Yeah, he never really stuck his head up and had anything to say about the Republican flyer that suggested we had endorsed him when we hadn't. It did seem like he ran an incredibly safe, cautious conservative (laughs) uh, campaign where he just kept his head down and figured, I can't lose this race because the Republicans always win it. And he was right, but he wasn't right by as much as you'd think, only getting 52% of the vote. It is pretty distressing that his district is so safe that he can basically, I mean, I, I heard this from letter writers and I verified it, that like he didn't go to forums. He didn't go to candidate debates. They had candidate debates all over the district and he just didn't go to them. Because he knew he was going to win. You know, that's not how democracy is supposed to work. I think he's been pretty popular down there. He's hard not to like. And so I'm sure that was helping him out, too. He is a very likable guy, but we want candidates to actually, like, say what they think about issues and, you know, as part of a campaign and talk about issues and have debates with other candidates. That's what democracy is about, but not under a gerrymander districts the way they are now. Well, we won't have any more elections, Phil, till, I believe, next spring. Yay! Because this fall's elections will not be of any consequence uh, statewide. So we get a year's break, and then we come back, and hopefully we won't have 37 races to cover for Dane County Board. Oh my god. <laughs> You're making my head hurt just thinking about it, Scott. They ought to fold that board in half, and they'd still be as big as the Madison City Council. Yes, they would. Yes, they would. Our theme music is by Tube Tester.